0: When our boys were young, it seemed like one of the most stressful parts of our weeks was trying to get to church on time. All I wanted was to just get myself in a seat, preferably before the doors closed. And yet I have so many memories of that being so chaotic It was as if the theme song from Mission Impossible was just being piped throughout our home, and it was like we were trying to herd cats, trying to get everybody in the car. It was, where's your other shoe? What do you mean you haven't brushed your teeth yet? Please go brush your teeth. No, you can't wear your Batman pajamas to church today. Let's go, go, go. And then we get in the car. My husband, Chad, is driving and it's, no, honey, go faster. Don't worry about that yellow light. Let's go. We're going to be late. Come on. And we get into the parking lot. By then, the boys are fussing at each other in the back seat. It's, he's looking at me. He's breathing on me. We get out of the car and I'm like, okay, no more looking and no more breathing. let's go let's get in the building and we walk up to the patio and the greeter greets me and I'm like hey (laughs) oh how are you is that a new dress that is so cute we get the boys checked in to kid summit I finally get myself into a seat and then it hits me what just happened (laughs) What in the world just happened? Just moments ago, my head was spinning around like I was in some kind of horror film in front of my family. And then I was sugar sweet to the greeter and I don't even know her name. What is that? And isn't that true? That so often the people that mean the most to, to us, the people in our innermost circle can very often end up getting the very worst of us. So today, in week three of the series on how to be human, that's what we're taking a look at. How are we treating the people that we are in relationships with? So to do so, to get started, I want to encourage you to consider a question. Maybe wrestle with a question, if need be. But I think that this question, if we were to come to it honestly that it has the power to shape, to improve, and strengthen every single relationship in our lives. And the question is simply this. Do I build people up or do I tear them down? Do I build people up or do I tear them down? Do I encourage, do I call out the good in people or do I tear them down? Am I critical and negative? Do I build them up or tear them down? And resist the temptation now to answer this too quickly. Because of course, I think we all know what we'd we'd want to say. We want to say that we build others up. We want to be known as encouragers. But the truth is, it's our human nature to drift towards the negative. Our human nature drifts towards tearing people down. And if we ever doubt that, We just have to scroll through social media for about 10 minutes and there's human nature on full display or turn on the news for a little while and there we have it again. Yes, we drift towards tearing others down. And so that's why today's message is so important for us to just simply take a moment to raise our own self-awareness of how this applies to every single one of us and hopefully to help us to resist that drift towards the negativity so in order to do so, I want to take a look at a proverb. The book of Proverbs was mostly written by King Solomon, who was known for his wisdom. And so this particular proverb is especially poignant for us today. And this is what he said. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The words of the reckless Pierce like swords, the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now, before we take a moment and step into this and look into it a little bit further, I want to encourage you to have an analogy in your mind. As we think about the difference between building people up versus tearing people down, I want you to think about your words being like a hammer. Because a hammer can be used for both. It can be used for building, but it can also be used for demolition. So think about that. When you are trying to demolish a wall with a hammer, you just start slinging. It doesn't matter. You can be pretty careless and it's gonna get the job done eventually. But when we're using a hammer to build a structure, we have to be careful. It, It comes with intentionality and forethought and planning and care just like our words. So I think that's exactly what King Solomon was wanting us to understand through his words today. So let's go back to that proverb. Let's take a look at the first part of it as we dismantle it a little bit. So that very first part, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. Pierce, we know what that means. That, that criticism, that negativity, that just always seeing the bad in others and putting people down. Again, we all have the tendency to just drift towards that. We have the tendency to be reckless, to be thoughtless and careless with our words. One way that we are especially prone to being reckless is stress. And boy, don't we all feel it. But we all have the tendency to to take stress out on the people that we love if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention. I think another way that we can be careless with our words and reckless is that we're trying to change somebody. We're trying to control and to shape them. And it ends up where we start to excuse our abuse. We start saying things like, well, I'm just trying to toughen him up. Or this is really just for her own good. But really? How does that even make sense? How can we expect to tear somebody down and then the effect being someone who is built up? It doesn't work with a hammer. hammer. It doesn't work with our words either. But we can still be reckless if we're not careful. Another way I think that happens unfortunately so often that when we are reckless with our behavior, it's because we are stuck. We get stuck in this unhealthy, toxic pattern where we have been torn down. And then even inadvertently, we become this conduit where that toxicity just flows right out of us and we end up tearing other people down. And we know it's true. We know that hurt people hurt people. A friend of mine, Colin, works in the auto repair industry. He was noticing a few years ago at the shop that he was working in that the guys that he worked together, that all in good fun, they had just developed this environment, this this culture of just toxicity. They were negative and just making fun of each other, and everybody was the brunt of a joke, and who could tear somebody down and laugh at, at somebody's expense? But it didn't take long before he started to notice that at home too. Colin was raising two teenage boys with with his wife, and they started to recognize that that's how the boys were starting to treat each other. They were tearing each other down. Colin was picking with them and all in good fun, but tearing them down as well. And so eventually he started to realize what had happened. He was stuck in this negative, toxic pattern, and he was taking that negativity from work and bringing it into his home. But fortunately, when he realized it, he was able to do something about it, he was able to recognize, this isn't how I want to raise my boys. No, I want to raise them up as men who are confident and build others up. And so Colin had to make the choice to change that, to be intentional with his words and how he was treating his boys. And that is a perfect example of the second half of King Solomon's verse. So let's go to the second piece of that. That fortunately, the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise can bring healing. So what does that mean to be wise? So the opposite of reckless, meaning that we're intentional, that we're careful, that it requires forethought and care. Now, I googled recently, how long does it take to build a skyscraper? And it can take over five years. And yet, it can take eight seconds to demolish it. And our words can be the same way. But see, when we are wise with our words, it means that it's not just a one and done. It's not just a, well, I told her that I loved her on our wedding day 15 years ago. It's not just a, well, I tell my employees that they're doing a great job once a year on their annual review. No, when we are wise, when we want to be known as people who build others up, then it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes part of who we are, where we become intentional. And so when we are wise, when we are trying to build people up, what does that look like? It's that intentional choice to call out the good. Call out the good, call out those characteristics, those qualities that you see in others that that are noble, their strengths and their talents and their gifts. You call that out. And when they have wins in their lives, when things are going well, then you celebrate them, you cheer them on, like, I knew you could do it. That's awesome, I'm so proud of you. I'm so happy for you. When things don't go well, it's reminding them and calling out their potential. I know you've got this in you. Don't give up. You've got this. Keep going. Calling out the good. Or when things are not going well, when things are difficult, when people around us are hurting, very often the best way that we can encourage is to just show up, to be there. Just merely our presence being with them can offer so much encouragement to remind them that there is hope. Remind them that there is hope, that we can be known as people who bring people up, who build others up. And I love the way that King Solomon chose to end this verse because he says that it can bring healing. That's the power in our words. When we choose to let them, our words have that much power. The people that we are in relationships with Maybe they have been torn down by others in their lives. When we choose to be deliberate and intentional and speak life and hope and goodness and positivity over them, then it actually helps to bring healing to the wounds that they have experienced in their lives. Maybe those lies that they have carried about themselves, our building them up and encouragement can help bring them healing. But it doesn't only bring healing to people It heals relationships. When we are intentional with our words, we can heal marriages. We can heal friendships. Our wise words can heal communities. It can heal the world, really. When we choose to resist shifting into that negativity, that's the power of our words. Have you ever noticed That the best encouragers are also the most confident people that you know. Think about that. Think about the people in your life that you know that just intuitively, just constantly build other people up. Aren't they the most confident people? They're set in their identity. They don't have the need to tear other people down to build themselves up. They're not threatened by other people's success. No, they're just confident And really up until this point of what we've been talking about, this is a human thing. It doesn't matter exactly what you believe spiritually to be able to do this. But when we choose to follow Jesus, when we choose to put our trust in him, then just like so many other things, Jesus raises our bar. Because that is where we find our confidence. That is where we find our identity and we see this throughout scripture, but I want to take us to one verse that's found in the book of 1 John. And this is what it tells us. He says, see see what great love the Father has lavished on us. What great love? Jesus, his only son, that we should be called children of God. Children of God. This is our identity when we choose to follow Jesus. This is where our confidence comes from. And just like when we are building others up, it's not just a one and done. No, it's a daily reminder. And when we choose to receive, when we choose to believe this, when we build and dig roots into our foundation as our identity and as children of God, it it impacts everything. It changes how we see ourselves, It changes how we see the world. I want to take you to a story that is found in the book of Luke, chapter 8, that illustrates this point. Luke recorded this story and explains about a woman who was suffering from a medical condition for 12 years. 12 years And based on what we know, because of the culture and the context of this time, that because of this medical condition that she was experiencing, she was considered unclean. Now, y'all, that was pretty much a social death wish in this time. If you were unclean, that means you were pretty much a contagion. Because anyone that you touched, anyone that touched you or came into contact, even with something that you touched, was then themselves considered to be unclean. Unclean until they were able to go into a, a ceremonial cleansing wash at the end of the day so that they were no longer unclean. So imagine, imagine this woman for 12 long years. Imagine the isolation, imagine the shame. Imagine how often and how frequently by every single person that she came in contact with that she was torn down. It's recorded that she spent all the money that she had seeking healing from doctors. Doctors that often actually ended up making it worse. She wasn't allowed to go to the temple because she was unclean. And again, even during this time in this system, in their culture, and in this context, if you were unclean or if you had any kind of, of medical anomaly, then you were considered it was just because you were a sinner. It was your fault. So imagine her shame. Imagine her isolation as she is marginalized. Every time she were to get close to someone, they would probably yell at her to go away. Until one day she starts hearing about this man, Jesus. So I picture her. She's likely on the side of a road begging. It's probably her only method of getting any kind of of money or food or sustenance. And so she's sitting on the side of the road and and they start to hear that Jesus is on on his way to their town. And so the townspeople are walking by her along the road and she's hearing these catchphrases as they're going. He's a healer. He casts out demons. He associates and he eats with sinners. He even allows women to follow him. He's different. We think he might be the son of God. And so perhaps after 12 years, this, a new hope starts to rekindle in her. And she gets swept up into the crowd and she's just curious and starts walking along with them. And I think the crowd is probably just so excited and so enamored to be around Jesus that they don't even see this, this contagion slip right in among them. And suddenly as Luke records, she gets right up behind Jesus and she reaches out and skims her fingertips along the cloak that he is wearing. And immediately her body is healed. Immediately she knows that after 12 long years of seeking doctors, after 12 long years of praying that God would heal her, she is instantly new. That she is instantly healed. And she's not the only one that realizes it. Jesus stops. He stops and he turns around. And you can just imagine this processional just stops with him. And he turns and he says, Who touched me? And the disciples, the, the townspeople are observing this and they're kind of looking around a little bit confused because they're like, Oh, Jesus we're all kind of walking along together. Lots of people have been touching you. And he doesn't let, he doesn't let the topic drop because he says, no, someone deliberately touched me because I felt healing power go out of me. And then one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, Luke records, when she knew She could no longer stay hidden. She began to tremble and she fell to her knees in front of him. She was trembling. And again, when we imagine witnessing this scene, we ask ourselves, why? Why was she trembling? Was she trembling out of fear? Was she concerned that this man was going to turn on her? Because... Remember, from Levitical law, from the Jewish law in this moment, she's now made him unclean. Is he going to turn on her? Is the crowd going to turn on her and tear her down again like they've been doing for 12 years? But remember, she knew she was instantly healed. So I don't think she was trembling out of fear. I think she was trembling out of pure awe because she was looking into the eyes of her Messiah so she falls to her knees and she begins to tell her story. This story that just moments before she never would have told publicly. She would have just, just rather have stayed under a blanket of shame. But yet here she is, new, proclaiming her story for all to hear. Telling them everything that she's been through over the past 12 years and how this simple motion of touching the garment of Jesus that she was instantly healed. And then what I picture as just this face illuminated in a smile, Jesus looks at her and says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Daughter. Daughter. I share this story because I, I can't, I can't help but wonder what was the crowd feeling as they witnessed this? What was going through their mind when they see this woman that they have yelled at and ostracized and marginalized for 12 years and they see her come forward And they see Jesus, this man that they're becoming to believe is the son of God. And he looks at her with compassion and grace and tenderness and love. And he calls her daughter. What was going through their minds? Did they treat her differently after that? Did they learn something that day? I can't help but wonder it actually reminds me of a personal story. So allow me to shift and share that I feel like I learned a similar lesson at one point in my life many years ago. I was eight years old, playing in my front yard with my friend Jennifer. I don't remember exactly what we were doing, but we were just running around the yard. And the way my, my uh, childhood home sat on this street was... It was kind of in a curve and down a hill. And so when people were taking a walk, we could kind of see them from coming a, a good ways off as they were walking down the hill. And so we could uh, have a good look at them as they were coming on by. And so this particular day, as Jennifer and I were hanging out and playing in the yard, I saw someone coming. Now, I'm gonna have to date myself for a second. This was the early 1980s, okay? Richard Simmons, sweating to the oldies. I am a firm believer that this woman was a big fan of Richard Simmons because with that in mind, every single muscle she had was in this walk, y'all. It was exaggerated. This was not a casual stroll. As she was coming down the hill, I mean, her arms were just a pumping and her hips were going. And I, as an eight-year-old, found that hysterical. So I started to mock her. So here I am playing with Jennifer and I start slinging my arms around and and swishing my hips back and forth just as exaggerated as I could. Oh, it gets worse. Because as she comes closer and all her fluorescence, I noticed that her name was written in big, bright, varsity font, all caps across her shirt, Paula. So I added that to my repertoire. I am mocking her and walking the way she was and I start calling Jennifer Paula in the most obnoxious voice, Paula, Paula. So of course, Jennifer starts laughing, which feeds me and just fuels me on. She starts doing it too. And we're just having a big old time at this lady's expense. And I remember she didn't even acknowledge us. She didn't change her pace. She just kept right on walking as we just kept right on tearing her down until we could no longer see her. We lost interest and went back to whatever it was we were doing. A little bit later, I was back in the house and my doorbell rang. So I opened the door and it's my friend Kimberly. Kimberly. A new friend, we had only played together a couple of times and she, had, she and her family had just recently moved in down the street. And so I was all excited. I was like, ah, oh, hey, how are you? And she immediately put her fists to her hips and said, I never want to see you again. I never want to be friends with you. How dare you? That was my mom you were making fun of. And I remember just the shock and the shame and the remorse that just washed over me in that moment. I remember taking a deep breath and trying to apologize as she was trying to just get away from me. And I said the words, I am so sorry, I didn't know. I didn't know she was your mom. And even as an eight-year-old girl, I heard. I knew how shallow and hollow those words sounded because it didn't matter. It didn't matter if I knew she was her mom or not. She was somebody's mom, she was somebody. And see, it wasn't until several years later, I was thinking back on that story. For whatever reason, it came back to my mind. And I think I remember it so well just because of the emotion of the experience, you know, that that shame and the remorse of what I experienced. And as I was thinking back on it, it occurred to me, I didn't care. I didn't care one bit that I was tearing Paula down until I knew who she belonged to. See, I didn't care that I was tearing Paula down, but I sure did care that I was tearing down Kimberly's mom. So is that how the crowd felt that day? When they were witnessing Jesus call this woman daughter, is that what was going on? through their minds as they realized they had been tearing down this woman that now the son of God is calling daughter. Because you see, as we grow in our confidence, as we continue to receive and believe that we are indeed children of God, that changes everything. Because that also means that every single person that we interact with, every single person that we are in relationship is also a child of God. They are a son of Jesus. They are a daughter of Jesus, whether they believe it or not, whether they have received it or not, whether they act like it or not. They are someone that Jesus went to the cross for. And so we can stand in the confidence that we are a child of God. It changes everything. Because then that means that we treat people we become known as those who build others up simply out of our respect, out of our love for the love that we have received. Because see then, then we become conduits. When we continue to receive and believe and know and accept the love of Jesus and it begins to flow through us, we become a conduit for his love that that love flows into every single relationship that we are in and we naturally become encouragers and those who become known for building people up when we resist the temptation and the the shift towards tearing people down. Now today on Mother's Day, I would be remiss to not give a nod to the best encourager that I've ever known, my mom. I will never forget a conversation that I had with her. I was a senior in college, and I had called to let her know that I had just finished a 15-page research paper. Y'all, this was before Google. Okay. So I called to let her know that I had just finished this paper. And I remember her voice, she said, Amy, that's wonderful. I am so proud of you. Because she knew. She knew the, the time and the energy and the effort that I had poured into completing this paper. But that wasn't the only reason that I had called her that day. My dad on the phone earlier in the morning had let me know that my mom was experiencing some, some significant pain in her neck and so I was calling also to check on her. And she just kind of pushed that aside and wanted to talk more about me and hear more about this paper and ask me questions and encouraged me. A few hours later, her symptoms snowballed. She ended up in the hospital. She was having a heart attack. That was the last real conversation that I had with my mom. In the middle of a heart attack, my mom was using her energy, her effort to build me up because that was just who she was. And I had no idea in that moment that those words, Amy, I am so proud of you. That is so wonderful that those words over the next weeks and months and years to come, all of the times that I wanted her to be there, all of the times that I longed to see her and to call and tell her from graduations to my marriage to the boys being born and now all the amazing things that are happening in their lives, that her words would echo in my heart and in my mind all of these years, her words, her encouragement, her building me up have lasted way longer than her body did because that's who she was, an encourager, someone who built others up. It's what she was known for. And we have a choice. We have a choice. What do we want to be known for? to be known as those who tear people down or know the people that just stand confidently that we are children of God and we treat everyone else in kind. That is how to be human. That is how we follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We love you, God. We thank you first and foremost for your love for us. May we just continue to come to you, God. May we just tremble in front of you in awe of what you have done for us. May what you have done for us be with us now. Turn us into conduits. Make us willing, make us suspended and surrendered to that, that we may just let your love as you encourage us, as you build us up, may that love flow through us into every single relationship that we have. May we be known for that. May we find confidence in that, that you loved us first. God, build our relationships. Thank you, because we know that this is for, for their good, for our joy, for your glory, and it's in your perfect son's name that we pray. Amen.